0: The title of the sermon is God's Dwelling Place. So, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go explore different things and clear that idea from the Old Testament, moving our way forward, uh, all the way to Jesus and uh, what is going on today with it. Okay, um, we're going to start reading from Psalm 132, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to give you some time to look for that. There's going to be many Bible verses. You can, you will can write them down or something. I'm um, not going to read them all. There's gonna, some that we're going to be reading. Uh, but that's we're just going to be navigating. Um, this idea, this theme. So, Psalm 132, 13 through 14. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling, saying, This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. That's what we're, the Lord chose to dwell, to make his um, residence, let's say it that way. Um, he's talking about the temple at some point, but that, that, that idea does not develop right there. It just goes all the way back to Genesis 1. We're going to go through that in a bit. Um, in the meantime, we're going to have like an overview of what we're going to be going through, as you can see in the screen. Uh, we're going to see the uh, ancient Near Eastern concept of deity's dwelling place. Because when the Lord is revealing what He's doing, it is in according to the way in which people in the ancient Near East saw things, viewed the world. So He's speaking to that. And thankfully nowadays we have the tools and we have um, studies and everything that we can actually understand what it means and bring it to nowadays. So that will be our first step. Next will be the Lord's dwelling place. That's to do with the tabernacle and the temple. And then the Lord dwelling among His people in Jesus. And we transition to the New Testament. And we see how that's taking place, how that's happening. And then the Lord dwelling, the Lord dwelling in and with His people. Which is not only, it was always everyone. But then Jesus puts it right in His calls Everyone to become His dwelling place. So, first let's go through some Ancient Near Eastern concept of deities and dwelling places. So, when I mention Ancient Near East, or sometimes abbreviated as A-N-E, we're talking about all those different civilizations that existed among Israel during that time. These are some, there were plenty more, plenty more. But some of these ones, we can read them, we can, you can find them in the Bible. You know, Persia, Egypt, Egypt is famous, you know. Um, the Amorites, Canaan, that was where the, the land uh, where Abraham was called to go. Phoenicia, the Roman Empire, Hittites, uh, Sumerians, Babylonia, dark little area where they were exiled. Um, Tower of Babel. So these are some of these civilizations that existed back then. So they all shared a common view of how the world worked. Of what it meant to um, have deities and what they do to please them and and all this vision they had. Um, So they thought, they were convinced that the deities were busy. They had to keep the world in order. They had to, you know, put the sun up take it down and the moon and, and make it rain and uh, make the, the crops grow and bring fruit and all these things. Everything was attributed to them. They were in control they were busy making the world just work. That's what they were doing. So they were, bi- they were too busy that they required humans to uh, give them food, to sustain them. Those personal little things, uh, to have them in a, to build them in a boat so they can come down and visit every once in a while, see how things were going and receive different um, gifts, offerings. So when you missed an offering, you missed a gift, you forgot to feed the God, He would get angry. And then droughts will happen, famines and floods. And just the world will just, you know, go back into chaos. So in order to keep the world in order, the Humans had to care for their daily needs. And that was the whole idea. That's how they uh, saw the world. So that's the the worldview, that view of the world that the ancient Israelites were brought into. You know, they were for 100 years in Egypt. They kind of had the same way of thinking. Uh, so what they did is that they built these things called ziggurats. Uh, to invite the deity to dwell within the human realm, because they were in the divine realm. But they will sometimes come and live in these cigarettes, which is a, kind of like a pyramid. There we go. That is a reconstructed uh, cigarette of Ur. It's 2100 BCE. And then we have Tichanitza, which is closer. It's in our continent, in North America, in, in Mexico. Uh, they're very similar, even though they're almost 3,000 years apart. Because the the view is is similar, it's, it's pretty much the same. And you see, in the one the one on the right, I think, yep, um, there's a little like house up there. So what you would find there is just like a bed, you know, a couch, perhaps something like that. So the so the deity come come down and chill and eat, and if they had Netflix back then, there he would probably uh, watch some Netflix. So that's what they did, and that's how they would care for them. Uh, that's our view and we respect that and we need to understand that is, it is in this moment in which the Lord is giving Israel the, he's revealing himself to them with this view so um, how does God talks about his dwelling place were the Israelites supposed to build something like this were they supposed to invite God in and keep him there How could they do that? Were they supposed to do that? We'll find out. But we go again, and this is where we start our journey through the Old Testament. And we start with creation. And in creation, what we see, these things happening. The world is created by this supreme being. He's not fighting. He's just talking, and things happen. They just come... And they are, and they are. He calls them, and he creates. Seven acts. Seven acts of creation. The Lord, that phrase, and God said, appears ten times, but it is seven times that initiates an act of creation. And those are the verses. You won't go through all of them. All of them said, they started with, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. Different, different um, uh, moments light, sea, land humans, beasts of the field, and so on. Also, um, at the end of the seven days of creation, actually, this is the sixth day of... Uh, at the end of the the activity of creation, on the sixth day, he lays back and he says, like, he evaluates what he has done. And he calls it very good. It is very good. God saw all that he had made, verse um, Genesis one thirty one. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So we're going to have to keep this in mind, okay? Because we're going to go through those later on as well. And then after that, in chapter 2, it's God's resting place. So on the seventh day, He blessed the seventh day. And it became the resting place. Um, Genesis 2, 2 and 3. But the seventh day, God had finished the work. And, this, and just remember this, God had finished the work he had been doing so on the seventh day he rested from all his work then god blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he on it he rested from all the work of creating of creating that he had done so now when we're talking about this idea of resting it is not you know you lay back and put your feet on the couch and you just cross your arms and you it is it means that his creation activity has ceased it it stopped but now a different kind of activity starts. Um, sustaining the world. Keeping the world working. In order. And relating. And entering in a relationship with people. The chapter 2 that is what it actually is. Men and, and, and women. Coming to this garden. And relating to them. So it is an example would be like. We're building a house. Hopefully in seven days you can build a house. Uh, you build a house, but there's a moment in which you stop. The house is finished. You say, it is the way I like it. But now it is it starts, which is building a home. It is different activity, but you have your rest. You're resting from building the house, but the activity of building the home begins. It's a different thing. Different thing. So it's similar to what when it says that God rested, then these other activities starts. And that day, if we if when we read Genesis, we read and it was evening and there was morning, evening and morning, six times. But the seventh day has no end because the sustaining of the world do not doesn't finish. It keeps going. It keeps going. So this is in creation, and this is the template for what comes afterwards. Then we fast forward. To the tabernacle. And now in the tabernacle, uh, during that time in Exodus 19, uh, you know, we know the story, right? The Israelites were um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jacob went to um, Egypt. Seventy of them, all his brothers and and family, they grew up into this huge family. They cry out to the Lord. He hears them, sends Moses, takes them out ten plagues. And leads him to Mount Sinai. And then at Mount Sinai it's like, we're going to stop here. And I'm going to come down. You don't have to come up. I will come down to the top of Mount Sinai. And you don't have to come and meet me there. Which is, speaks against the idea of the Tower of Babel. Building this so we can go up. No, I will go down. It's God again and again taking that step forward. For us. Because he knows how to do it. We mess it up. When <laughs> we try to do things according to our own wisdom. Uh, so he. Goes to Mount. He descends on top of Mount Sinai. And there's the citation. We won't read it all. Um, and in Mount Sinai. What the Lord gives to Moses. It's. Uh, gives him some legislation. Instead, sorry, instead of giving him some legislation. Uh, or only legislation, he gives Moses instructions to build a place where he can dwell with his people. They get the law, but the law is not to get something. The law is to show them, this is how you should live, this is how you should sustain your this community. Uh, but it, ge- it also gives him these blueprints of what the tabernacle, this new dwelling place, is go- supposed to be. Um, so we go, and then again, we have seven acts of building the temple, or that tabernacle. I'm sorry, seven acts are described. Then the Lord said to Moses seven times, "The Lord said to Moses, do this, do that, do the other. Different aspects, different areas. Uh, the menorah, the in the incense place, the the first, the courtyard, the the tent, the columns, everything." How is supposed to be decorated? Seven times the Lord says to Moses, "Do this and do that and do the other." After that, in verse um, chapter thirty-nine, verse forty-three, Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. There is an evaluation moment, The same as it was in Genesis. Everything everything is done. So let's keep moving forward from here. And after that, um, the Lord comes in and takes his place in, in the tabernacle. Instructions were given also. After um, the seven acts of, create, of building the tabernacle, which are verses 20, um, chapter 25, uh, 30, and 31, the last instruction he's given, Moses is given, is about the seventh day. The Lord said to Moses, verse 31, I mean chapter 31, verses 12 and 13, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Then again, it does not mean ceasing of all activities, but it's in just stopping from the activity of building the tabernacle. Because as Genesis has taught us, there is just a switching gears of activities. We're done building. Let's start sustaining. We stop building. We finish building our, our house. Let's begin building a home. So that's what the Israelites were supposed to be. That's what the mandate uh, here is calling them to do. So the seventh day is, is the call to the Israelites to partner with God to sustain society according to his will and what is that will his law the way they were supposed to live not something through which they're going to gain or get salvation or whatever it is not that it is i have saved you from egypt now if you want to live accordingly to my will this is this this are the boundaries you should be keeping Let's remember the psalm that we read at the beginning. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has decided for his dwelling, saying, This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit in throne, for I have desired it. Fast forward. They take the land. They conquer the land. They get some dark moments with the judges. Um, they go to Samuel. People ask for a king. Doesn't doesn't work quite well the first time. But it does work well with David, for the most part, um, and then we go to Solomon. And David wanted to build a temple, but yeah, you're you kind of like you're a warrior. You there's too much blood in your hands, so maybe your your son's going to do this. So comes to Solomon. So we go to the temple. Uh, can we go back on to the um, no backwards? So. This is the, the one in first century, similar to the one Solomon built. Uh, if you were, I mean, if you did catch the other picture, do um, you see, notice something different from this one than from the other ones? This is not, this is not a pyramid. It is not. It is not, I'm going to come over here and you're going to meet me up. It's, I'm going all the way down to dwell with you. To be with you. You don't have to do, build this thing and bring me things. And if you read the Psalms, we are like, are you going to bring me, you know, sacrifices so I can eat? You know, all of this is mine. But no, this is this is a temple, and it's it 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 is different from the other ones. And they, you know, got some or teased about that. But that that's what it is. So, um, it wasn't set up as a pyramid, as we can notice. Because unlike the other temples around, there was no need to go up to meet with God. He had already come down. You can see it is very different. If you see all other ancient Near Eastern temples, there will be ziggurats. they will be like pyramid-shaped. Pretty much all of them. Um, so there was no need. And then again, when we see instructions for the temple... Again, there are seven acts of building the temple. Seven acts are described in which the sentence starts, Solomon built. He built and did this. 1 Kings 6, two, 5, 7, 9, 10, 14, and 36. Again, following the pattern of the tabernacle, following the pattern of the creation of the world. Seven acts of creation, seven acts of building the tabernacle, seven acts of building the temple. After that, there's an evaluation again of what has been built. First Kings 6.38 The temple was finished in, in, all, its, in all its details according to its specifications. Solomon had spent seven years building it. And then he prays. Uh, in chapter 1, there's, um, they bring other things, other furnishings. Um, chapter 7, actually they invite all people, that's what it is. And then there's the temple dedication in which the presence of the Lord fills the temple. Again, the same way it, it, it was, um, the garden in Eden was filled with God's presence. And the same way in the tabernacle was filled, the temple is filled. And in first Kings eight fifty six, Solomon praises the Lord, praise be to the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel. Then I get that idea of resting. And it is not, you know, yes, there's nothing to do now. No. We have been settled as a nation. We have our land. We have our people with us. We have our temple. We have our the God. Dwelling with us. So now the activity of establishing the land has finished. Now, what continues is making of this land a home. We have built the house. Let's make it a home. Let's make this nation a home, not only for ourselves that was the, the plan but for everyone that is around us for the stranger, for the foreigner, for the oppressed. It was supposed to be a welcoming place. And as we know, the, I mean, the Israelites, they tried. Sometimes they did very good. And some other times they did very bad. They end up in Babylon because for many years they did not listen. Prophets were sent. They were called to follow, again, the covenant. They didn't. And they end up in Babylon. But God is faithful. And that is when something interesting in Ezekiel 10 the people is going to Babylon and then people were complaining because um, after a certain point there was no presence in the temple. God had abandoned it. And it's not only because of people's, you know, debauchery and all the things they did and and all the sins and all the bad things they, they were doing and not keeping the covenant, but because God went after his people to Babylon. Ezekiel sees that vision. Uh, by the Kebra River. He saw this vision of the Lord of God's throne there. He went and followed them. God always being the first one to take those steps to reach us, to be with us. So, now that we have this um, idea of how these things work, the creation tabernacle and temple, I think we have a little chart just comparing how things have have worked, and we can see, we see there that, there's seven acts of creation, of building the, the tabernacle, and, the temple, there's an evaluation, being done, by God, by Moses, by Solomon, and the Sabbath rest again, we build the house, to so make this a home, that is the idea, so, you can see that, this is one of the things, you can trace through the Old Testament, and it keeps going through the uh, New Testament, that's where we're going now, so, in the New Testament, it is God dwelling with his people through Jesus. And I know we, you've been doing um, a John series, right? And in chapter one, I mean, John has shaped his gospel just to give emphasis in that God is creating something new. I mean, he just copy pasted in the beginning. It's supposed to ring that bell from Genesis in the beginning. So he is trying to tell us through his, the way he has structured his gospel uh, that what God is doing now, he's recreating. He's making something new. He's making new creatures. He's inaugurating a new world. And the person who's taking that project forward is Jesus. And we read in John 1.14, 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling... Among us, that word dwelling uh, in, in the Greek is "skenison," That is the verbalized word of the word uh, that is translated as tabernacle. So, um, it would be like God made and Jesus, sorry, the word became flesh and made his dwelling or he tabernacled. among um, he pitched his tent, he came and dwelt with us. So, again, it's temple language it's tabernacle language that god has made his abode with us and with them but also with us and now it is interesting if you notice um the first two miracles in john's gospel we have water turning to wine healing the royal's official son and um john gives you a little note there he tells you oh this is the first of jesus sign And then he tells you on the second one, oh, this is the second of Jesus' sign. And then he wants you to just keep track. He stops telling you that. And guess how many are there? There There's seven. There's seven signs. Seven acts of creating the world. Seven acts of building the tabernacle. Seven acts of building the temple. Seven acts of recreating the world. That's what John is hinting at. Uh, Third one is healing the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. Feeding the 5,000. Healing the man born blind. Raising of Lazarus from the dead. And all of these signs, I'm missing one, I know. All of these signs are pointing and are revealing God's glory. And the last one, God being lifted up, is the moment of God's glory shining through Jesus in full strength. Crucifixion is the seventh sign. They are pointing to new creation that has begun with Jesus. And, and John is he's very aware of that. He's so intentional in this that even in the sixth day of, of um, the Passover week, when he's with Pilate. Pilate does not, I'm not. I don't know if he's sure what he's saying. But he, he presents Jesus with his crown, with his robe, with scepter, um, saying behold the man those are his words and it's again who was created on the sixth day humanity and Jesus is embodying what humanity should be giving his life for the many rescuing us dealing with sin dealing with our evil with our darkness with our brokenness and rescuing us bringing us towards Him. That is what He's doing. And and then in His um, resurrection, in John 20, the first verse, He says, early on the first day of the week, and we think, yes, Sunday, it's the first day of the week, right? But John, if you're following in this new thing that He's showing us, this new recreation, that first day of the week is the first day of new Creation. It's the first day in which things are gonna change from now on. And they have. Still have a lot of work to do, and the Lord will complete it when He comes. And we have been invited to that. So those are the seven signs John gives that parallel the seven signs, the seven acts of building and creating. Um there is some resting. And as you remember, the Sabbath is, is about resting, but not about doing nothing. And it is interesting to know that many of the, uh, the Jesus' miracles, they happen during the Sabbath. Because it is about Jesus' resting activity. That means in the Sabbath, what we have learned, what we know now, is that in the Sabbath, it is the moment in which God is sustaining the world. In which God is taking care of things. That's what he's doing. So Jesus goes on in the Sabbath. What does he go? He how do, What does it look like? He starts putting the world right. He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He frees the oppressed. He brings life to those who are dead. That's what sustaining the world looks like. And what better day to do it on the Sabbath. In which... The house has been built, and now it's time to make it a home. And again, John is very good at what he does. First John, chapter nineteen, verse thirty. There is our evaluation parallel. His final words are, "It is finished." Same way as in Genesis. The tabernacle, the temple, it is finished. He had, he's done recreating the world, turning the world upside down. And now, this day does not end. Remember, the the Sabbath day does not end. This rest does not end because now, what does he do? He will empower his people. So they go on sustaining the world. So God dwelling with and in his people, after jesus had um, after he had cleansed us cleaned us cleansed us cleansed us um, he we are we are prepared we are purified we are clean because part of the um The atonement sacrifice, the point of the atonement sacrifice was to clean the tabernacle, clean the temple, so God's presence could still be there, could stay there. So Jesus does say, You know what? I'm going to send you uh, um, an advocate. I'm going to send you the Spirit, but not yet, because he knew that he had to clean us first. The Spirit cannot come into a polluted shrine, the polluted temple. He had to clean us first. So that happened, and then we go to Pentecost, to Acts. Acts 2 and um, Acts chapter 2 verse 2 and 4. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is again tabernacle language. This is temple language. It is worded the same way when God's presence filled the tabernacle and the temple. When he came down in Sinai and... That, um, that little place we've been that, who were thinking of containing the one who transcends space and time and everything that we see and do not see but again he meets us where we, where we are so God takes his residence and now um, all the apostles get this I mean we, we understand this and they start encouraging people now you have become God's dwelling place you have become the place in which God's presence can go everywhere. In First Corinthians six nineteen, we get a reminder of that. Do you not know what your body that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? And then we get uh, in Peter two verse uh, chapter two verse five. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Living stones. What was the temple made of? Um, Being built in the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are that temple. And He's not only us individually, but collectively. You know, that's why Paul's metaphor about being all of us one body, It means, yes, our individuality matters but our collectivity. We are God's image individually and collectively. We are God's, um, we are His body individually and collectively. It is as a church, as this community of Jesus followers that we reveal who God is to the people around us, to the community in which we are part of. Um... He, had done, he has done that and He has brought us under Jesus' headship. He is the head. We are, none of us are the head and God forbid us to think that we are. Um, but we are part of His body. So we have a task. We have a responsibility and quite a great one. What does this mean for all of us? With this we start closing. First of all, First of all, that the Lord has always taken the first step in redemption, in restoring the lost relationships back in Genesis 1 and 2. It was great back then. We didn't get it right, but God does not abandon us. And then, as we have seen, and you can see through all of Scripture, that He keeps getting closer and closer and closer and closer. He is he, in us if we have accepted that, how much closer than that you can get. Um, so he's the first one to do that, to restore that relationship. And therefore we are supposed to, or trying to be people that restore relationships among us here in Grace and Community, and Grace Community Church, with our neighbors, with co-workers, with the people around us, with the different people we relate to every day. Now the Lord has a temple as we have seen but it's not built by stones or hands but by Jesus' sacrifice which enables us to become God image bearers. As I guess I mentioned before at the individual and at the collective level. Third point it's God's presence has become mobile and we have been invited to become active participants in it. Again it is In Jesus, God was able to relate with people. But now His presence is in all of us. We can contrite that or let it flow. That's our decision. And that's our part. But now God's presence can go everywhere. It can reach more and more and more than it could in the first century. And that's His plan because He wants to fill the earth with the knowledge of His glory as the water covers the sea. He wants to permeate it, as he did in Genesis 2. But he's using us, living temples, walking temples, to go and show what does it look like when God's presence is in control. So we have been given the responsibility, the task of sustaining the world, of putting the wrongs to right, of blessing those around us, of taking God's presence to the dark and broken places in our community. You think about it. It's, it starts, it starts in our, in our closest, smallest circle, with our family. How are you showing that you're God's temple in your family? It's different for everyone. Similar in, in in many cases, different. In some others, that's how it starts. Just keep extending that circle, with family, to spouses, to parents, to children, to neighbors, to co-workers. To fellow brothers and sisters in church. In different churches. In the people that we see in the grocery store. How are we showing that? How are people perceiving that we are carrying. That we are mobile temples. How are we doing the equivalent of sustaining the world. Of making this place where we are. That is already built. How are we making it a home? And this is how, by doing all these things, by being convinced of all these things, and is how slowly, and it's okay, God is gentle and He's patient. And we're glad for that. Um, that we are contributing to God's ultimate purpose, to permeate the whole world with His presence. Just like the prophet mentioned, and as I mentioned just before, that the whole earth may be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh as the waters covers the sea. So we have a great task, a daunting task, but quite a privilege. Quite a privilege. All because of what that Jesus had taken, that story had taken, that theme, that idea, that the God's desire has fulfilled it. And he has called us to go forward. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you because you have created this beautiful and amazing world, and you have called us to be partner to partner with you and, and sustain it and take care of it and make it flourish. And we have not always gotten it right, probably gotten it wrong. More times to get it right, but we are willing and we are trying, and we thank you that in Jesus we can see that, and we have been invited in participating, in extending your and taking your presence to those places in which darkness has taken over, in which brokenness—it's the language in which hate and and differences rule. We ask you, Lord, that you keep empowering us and we let you take control and we let you be the guide, Lord, as we study scripture, as we we feed Holy Spirit and as we are more convinced that the way to go forward is to follow you. Thank you, Father, because you have called us to this task, which is a blessing. It's a responsibility, but what a blessing to serve with you among you, to you, for you, Lord, to those people that are around us. Reminds us that we are your dwelling place. You have chosen Zion and Zion is all of us now. We have, we are your people. We are your nation. And now we have that task. I pray that we are humble enough to take it forward, that we recognize in every step and that we are convinced that It is your will to fill the earth with your glory as the water covers the sea. Amen.